Hello, this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. We're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook and our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you're watching on the website, don't forget to leave that Google review and you can leave your comments in the comments section below. And if you'd like to email, it's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast on our website via the biggest podcast platforms every Monday at 10. And also you can find us on Dilsey Radio as well. And we welcome our new listeners there every week. So let's take a look at this week's property news with our property specialist, Joe Joshi. Hello, good morning. Good morning, uh, Paul, and good morning to our listeners. Um, yeah, plenty of news again in uh, the property world which I'm sure you've got uh, a good number of questions right raised for me there, Paul. Indeed. Let's take a look at our first story. And this is quite interesting, actually. New research says individuals aged 50 to 64 hold property worth of £679 within the private rented UK sector, according to analysis by Savills. The research found that owner-occupiers aged 65 and above in the UK now hold a record estimated £2.587 of net housing worth. These homeowners reside in properties with a combined value of 2.735 trillion, with the majority of this wealth just over 2 trillion held by individuals who've paid off their mortgages. The analysis further reveals that individuals aged 50 to 64 hold an estimated additional 2.2 trillion of housing equity, including the 679 billion within the private rented sector. Consequently, over 55 over 50 age group now control a staggering 78% of all privately held housing wealth in the country. It just goes to prove, isn't it, Joe, that we were always uh, taught from our generation, certainly, and prior to that, for that matter, money goes into bricks and mortar, and that's the only way to make any money, because that's an astonishing figure, isn't it? 78% of all housing wealth is aged 50 and above. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, and, yeah, when I when I looked at those figures, and, um, and it, you know, it, it, it was a, a bit of a gasp to think that the 78% um, is are the owners of such high amounts of wealth um, and in property and equity and and just asset in and you're absolutely right um, and it's not gone away Paul it's not you know we're still drumming into our children and and most people are still aware that they want to buy and invest in property because it is obviously the best form of investment that they could actually make they own it they use it and of course it you know, grows in, uh, in in value, and um, you know, you get more equity in it, and it's just uh, it's astounding, really. And interestingly enough, when you look at that, I think about you know some of the missed opportunities, perhaps, where governments could have probably directed that in a different way and allow younger people to get on the property ladder, and they're still struggling to do that even at this current time. And if you take a stock of a hundred percent and 78 percent of that is held by there's not a lot of stock left really when you think about it for potential newcomers and and there there comes the problem of driving prices because obviously um it is always about supply and demand the demand is huge and the supply is you know just over 30 percent sorry just under 30 percent of, of what's available at this moment in time um and so yeah, it's, it's quite an astonishing figure, but it also confirms and reconfirms 
you know, our thoughts, my thoughts, certainly, that it is the best form of investment that anybody will ever make. That's true. I mean, it is interesting, isn't it, also, that this is a uniquely British thing, because I suppose it's, this goes back to the Englishman's home is his castle. Um, yeah. But, you know, you look at Europe, they're not so bothered about owning property, are they? Most people rent throughout their entire life in Europe. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is always the case. Um, and again, you know, I will go back to probably our infrastructure, our, our way of we have always been brought up, what we're, we're looking to do. We, we want to be owners. We want to be owner occupiers. We want to invest. We are an island, whereas in Europe there is more sprawl and yet there is more um, chance to build um, and there's more, more land available, whereas here we are limited to that supply um, of, of, of property and land. And that's what actually I think people want. I mean, I, I, when I listen to people coming in from all over the world and, and speak, they're still interested in buying, buying, buying. And it's, we're a tiny little island, really, by comparison to the, the overall global picture. And yet there is such a demand for people wanting to buy and own property here. It, it does make you wonder how many spare rooms there are and vacant rooms, bedrooms I'm talking about now, obviously, in, in, in so many of these people's properties. Because a lot of them, probably the kids would have flown the nest, so there's the two of them, and they've probably got a five-bedroom house. So, all right, giving them the chance to maybe have a spare room for an office or something like that, that means there's at least going to be two or three bedrooms spare. But one wonders whether if we had a, like was muted years ago, a bedroom tax or even a window tax, whether that might persuade people to downsize because this this clearly is the issue isn't it because if you're not able to build enough property then you need to get people to move out to those spacious of those spacious properties so that young families can move into them but of course the options facing the downsizers are firstly that they're going to tax to the hilt in doing so and secondly they're going to be asked to move into a tiny postage stamp effectively two-bedroom flat and they call it a retirement home and they're not going to so, want to do that from five bedrooms, are they? Yeah, and that, that's, there are a number of issues uh, there, Paul. One is, first of all, it is very, very difficult to downsize um, once you've you know, got there. And our system says that the progression allows us to think, and it's about a, it's about a psychological, it's also about a personal belief. It's, all, it's, it's a lot of things that are, are in there. And if you've grown and gone up that property ladder from, let's say, the days when you were a student studio to one bedroom to two bedroom to a terrace to end of terrace to a semi to a detached to a bigger detached to one that's got a it's, it's just been drummed into us about how we progress. And once you progress to the level where you are in a four, five, six, seven, ten bedroom house, um, and, and basically you're the only one left there. There's a part of your pride that says, I don't want to go back down. I don't want, you know, A, you could afford it. But if you just look at those numbers, the trillions that is held, that in itself is an encouragement for them not to want to go back down because they know that even whilst they're living in this massive property, which they probably are the only person living in it, it's still going up in value. So why would they want to come out of this? Secondly, Apart from it being homes that they own for themselves and live in it, all the others are going to be, the minute they're crystallised, the minute they sell them or they, they get them, they're liable for capital gains and tax. Um, and as long as they keep them, they're not. So again, the problem is that the government sits there with its hands out 
you know, sort of saying, right, well, if you if you downsize, there's a penalty. And if you don't downsize, there's a penalty. The penalty is that you can't afford to live there. So we're putting up utilities, rates, rents, and all sorts of other bits and pieces, and you're gonna pay more for it. And if you do downsize, we're gonna actually charge you a tax to sell that, it's crystallized. And then they think, well, actually, why would I? And then of course, when there are opportunities created in the system where they can pass that on to their children, perhaps over a certain period and, and don't have the tax, then uh, people will continue to pass that on. And that's part of the reason it exists. If you look back in history, all of the um, older English families have still got a huge amount in estates that they own land and gentry it exists on the back of the fact that they've got all of this property that you know they they are either renting out turning or churning or farming or or developing consistently is bringing in income so why would they want to sell so there's no encouragement as far as i'm concerned for them to sort of downsize i mean if you and i were sitting in a big house okay we might think well actually i want to go and have a you know cruise around the world or whatever but you you've got the property to turn around and say okay you can borrow against it you can do all sorts of other things you can nowadays they can equity release and somebody could be sitting there forever and day because they've taken equity release they can't shift from that until they pass away so you know then they're not systems that are allowing people to say well actually i will genuinely put my hand on my heart and say, you know what, I think it'll be a good thing if I downsize and I've got a massive plot of land, which means that people can develop and more homes can be built on it. They don't want to do that either. So it's, it's just, it is, a, it is a challenging point. But when you look at those numbers, there's no encouragement of them wanting to downsize in all honesty. Now, there's even more on it here. The distribution of wealth varies across the regions, of course, and most of it's uh, concentrated in the southeast. The highest value owner-occupied wealth is in the southeast. Uh, in this area, individuals aged 65 and over possess 475 billion in housing wealth, which surpasses the combined total of the entire of the north of England and Scotland by over 8 billion. So just in the southeast, there's 8 billion more equity and property wealth than there is in the whole of the north of England and Scotland, which defies belief in itself. Moreover, the southeast has experienced the most substantial growth in housing wealth uh, held by individuals over 65 and above over the past uh, decade. During this period, their wealth has increased by 248 trillion, more than two and a half times the growth seen in housing equity by those under a, a, at the age of 50. And I, I was gonna ask you about this, I don't quite understand how that works. So basically the wealth of the over 65s has increased by 248 trillion, two and a half times more than those under 50 in the same region. Why would the under 50s not have as much growth in their wealth as those over 65? Is it the property well, value? Part of it's property value, part of it's time, isn't it? So those that have got 65 above have actually probably A, cleared their mortgages and B, um, the, when they bought it, if you bought it 15, 20 years earlier, the equity that has gone up is that much greater than it would be. So in, in another 10, 15 years, the guys that are at 50 will probably be at the similar levels that they are at 65 now. It's just about when you started uh, at that first run of the ladder, which is why we were always encouraged to get on there as soon as possible um, so that you are in that, that sort of race 
for the trillion dollar um, trillion pound that worth, um, which is why it would be. But yes, I mean the, the 15, 20 year gap tells you that it's just where the starting point has been, but also that some of those have actually already cleared there. So the term used to be 25 year mortgage. Now, obviously, it might have gone up because you've gone and re remortgaged or, or released some money and, and gone and refinanced it. But if you stuck by your original mortgage application, then 25 years later, you would have paid it. Now you're not paying any, anyway, the property's worth more, but the people that are starting are still starting at a higher price. So that, that's where the difference will come. Yeah, if we look at the southwest, um, it's owned by individuals aged 65 and above, pretty much, making it the region with the highest percentage of equity held by older homeowners. Southwest popularity among downsizers and retirees contributes uh, contributes to this trend, driven by various lifestyle factors. The findings highlight the significant concentration of housing wealth within the older population, reflecting the long-standing trend of property ownership as part of your retirement planning. And even if you think about companies, back in the old days, you had to have equity on your balance sheet, didn't you? So you always tried to buy the factory that you were uh, trading from because that would be an asset. If you ever wanted to go to the bank for a loan, you'd have something on the balance sheet. Modern day companies, of course, they try and put their IP on there rather than their property because they're renting the property most likely. And of course, they find it difficult to get the credit because they don't have the equity on the balance sheet. So we've always been geared, haven't we, whether we've been in business or in personal life, we've always been geared to making sure there was bricks and mortar at the heart of our retirement. And that's the key. It is about the bricks and mortar at the heart of the retirement. And this is one of the other reasons why in previous episodes we've talked about, or I've certainly talked about, you know, an, an alternative to property for people perhaps um, 60 plus because at the moment they tend to want to buy property because they know that's the one that's going to give them the best possible return. And it is bricks and mortar and they've come from a, a pedigree where they know that that's what they've got to do. But if there was a scheme or available, and not everybody, not everybody is a property entrepreneur. There are many people that are not interested in doing property, but end up doing it primarily because they don't know anything different or they're not guided in different. But if there was, you know, bonds or, or some sort of, you know, guaranteed um, uh, returns on, on government bonds or, or some equities that they could do and gave them a good return, a lot of people wouldn't. And that would actually also free up quite a lot of opportunity for the first time buyers. But because the, if there's an opportunity for an investment, there are two people that are running for this uh, investment now. One is a first time buyer who's got to go and get a mortgage. Um, and, and probably may not qualify. And the other is person who's got an equity in a multi-million pound property and he's just got to go to the bank and go, oh, I want 200 grand against that. And they just write you a check, say, here you go, that's fine, um, off you go. So who wins? It's always the investor that wins. Yeah. Um, but if there was something else for the investor to invest in, maybe that would be a one horse race as opposed to a two horse race. It's interesting, actually, when you look at the wealth that's there for the, the retiree or the elderly person, shall we just say, um, that that means that 
the focus on housing policy from a political point of view is always going to be at the uh, other end of the scale because you've got the haves and the have-nots, haven't you? You've got all this wealth at the top end. So what incentive is there for a government, say of a blue persuasion, to do anything to assist those people? They've got enough money to assist themselves and they're likely to vote for that party anyway. So it becomes a vote winner to try and focus on the bottom end of the market. But in reality, what we need is incentives for those at the top to come into the downsizing funnel to allow people to move up the ladder if we're not going to spend so much time building as many houses as we want to. And the problem with building as many houses as we want to is all of the above restrictions, green belt, um, planning policies, neighbours, you know, um, all of those people who don't want to have anything else coming on board. So it's a real challenge to start to find land to build on and, it all, and that's why blocks and blocks and blocks of flats are beginning to exist um, at this moment in time, because there's nowhere else to nowhere else to put them. One wonders what incentives the government or, or, or of any persuasion could put in place to to encourage downsizing. I suppose um, reducing the tax burden on on selling the property and moving down, or even giving them an incentive to move, would be something that you could do. Any other thoughts on that? Well, I mean, as I've said before, that, you know, if you're selling and the minute you're crystallizing, if it's your personal asset, you're not liable for capital gains tax, but you may be liable for other um, duties that might may occur. I don't think there's particularly anything on a personal asset. The problem lies really more so with the investments, because the minute they start to take any of their investments down, they've got to pay. So if you've bought a portfolio of buy to rent properties over the last 30 years, for argument's sake, which are all renting and rented out of the private sector, and you sell one of those, you are then liable for a capital gains tax from the time you bought it to the time of takeaway, obviously the running costs and so forth. Now, if you had 300 properties in that portfolio, you don't, you, you don't want to sell any of them because all you're going to do is pay tax. So if they want to incentivize people then they've got to remove either the amount or the percentage of that tax which they're not going to do because it's it's money for old ropes it's just you know the minute you sell it you've got to pay us um so that becomes a real challenge on their own home the problem most people have and when i speak to them is that they'd love to downsize but in their mindset in their psychology unless it's completely out of the area and they've gone for a number of reasons. One might be that a partner has passed away and they think, well, this is time for me to pack my bags and go and start a new life, or they've met a new partner or, or whatever. Certain circumstances happen for them to want to make that move, which is why in the Southwest, it is one of the wealthiest uh, patches because A, it's coastal. B, a lot of people tend to say, okay, well, I'm gonna sell up in this big smoke or the big town where I've been working and I'm gonna go and live by the sea. Um, and so therefore, you know, where is the best sun? The best sun in the United Kingdom is in the West, you know, um, Southwest. So at the end of the day, that's where your Devons, your Cornwalls and so forth. And they then have a further problem where they got all these people that are moving into the area and there's no availability for their first time buyers to buy anything that they want to buy because some of these people are not only buying their own property there, but they're also buying others up so that they can rent them out and generate income for themselves. So 
it's a bit of a vicious circle as to why that would be. I mean, if north of Scotland or something would be a bit brighter, maybe you might, you know, have a few people go up there, but it's just not happening that way. Makes you wonder if that's not part of the government's thinking that, you know, we would rather that, that private individuals didn't do buy to let and that's why they're discouraging people from having it by making it such a litigious uh, activity these days. It makes you wonder whether that's actually part of the process because the other thing I was thinking about just then is if lots of over 65s or over 50s are owning buy to lets and they get to a point where, do you know what, I just need to, to, to divest myself of this, I can properly retire now, um, especially if I'm going to downsize, then they're going to sell those buy-to-lets, but they're probably going to go to um, first-time buyers because no, hardly anyone's buying buy-to-lets because they can't make the, the math stack up nowadays. So at the end of that, what that means is, of course, there's less PRS available for, for renters to get into private rented stock. And yes, the government isn't encouraging anyone. I mean, they are discouraging buy to buy to let um, because obviously all the taxations and so forth. But if people are coming out of those pool, then who's going to buy the properties to rent out? The government can't afford it. They can't even afford to build the properties. I'm not quite sure where the policy is going with this, quite honestly, and whether we'd like to sort of have a second guess and, and try and see that they're doing certain things to do you know, to help the market. I don't think they're actually doing anything at this moment in time to help themselves, let alone help the market in any shape or form. Um, because at the end of the day, when we're looking at, um, you know, the private rental, rental sector, a lot of them want to come out because it's too expensive to continue to maintain because the borrowing has gone so up, so far up. The rental prices are just gone straight through the roof. I mean, what, what you're having to pay for a, one or two bedroom property now is is just far. I mean, I don't even know how people are going to afford it. It's it's, just, it's doubled, literally doubled in in the last six months. Um, maybe in the last year, the rents have doubled to what they use. So if you buy, if you're getting a one bedroom flat, maybe at seven to nine hundred pounds, you're now getting the same thing at you know fourteen hundred pounds, fifteen hundred pounds. It's it's silly, silly money, really, um, in terms of where it is. But people got to find a place to live. People got to have a roof over their head, and they'll go to whatever extreme, extreme they have to to try and get to get that get that done. So the government, I, I don't think, is helping. However, I do believe, and and, and I've I've said before, uh, it, it's a it's a plan, and I think you'll see. But as the as the year comes towards uh, the end, beginning of next year for election time, you'll find there's more motivation is going to happen to the housing market. There'll be different um, statements made, and perhaps the the budget at the other end of the year and um, and you know they, they'll want to drive the housing market up again. You could argue that the reason is where we are is where we are is because the the government um, over the last 40 years has basically left it to free market enterprise isn't it because it's you know we've sold all the council houses and all of the state support that was there back in the day uh, it's all gone um, and it's been left to private individuals to supply a rental market. And as a result of that, we've got a bigger gap between the haves and the have-nots um, and, and no policy going forward other than that we were trying to build 300,000 homes and we've got nowhere near it. Um, and uh, <laughs> that's why it's broken, I would suggest. Yes, I mean, when, when Margaret Thatcher came along and said, said you know, you can, you can buy your own council property, we lost a lot of stock. Um, people thought, you know, this is a great opportunity for me to do that. And on top of that, 
they they gave masses of discounts to tenants so they didn't make market value they sold them below market value for those that were in it now they haven't been able to build that stock back up at all no matter how hard they try for generations and and successive governments they just haven't managed to get that because each time that somebody comes along and says we've got to build more social housing well actually you had a huge bank of social housing from day one and you chose to sell them um and those people have bought them lived their their three to five years that they had to and sold them for market value and made colossal amount of money in some some cases now, some people it may not be as colossal, but if you had nothing and then all of a sudden you got 50 grand or 100,000 pounds or whatever, then you're in a different different place. You can actually afford to sell in the south, pack your bags and go to the north and buy yourself a, a property for cash um, and not have any mortgage on it at all. So, you know, a lot of things happened um, during that, that period for, for it. But the biggest problem is there was a lack of um, properties left and we haven't been able to catch up with that no successive government has been able to build enough social housing to and, and at the prices that they are for uh, people to step on the run of the property ladder. well we spoke about government intervention a moment ago and the government is understood to be drawing up plans to relaunch help to buy which we talked about a number of times reports in last week's national papers suggested that richie sunak is uh, wanting to bring forward some sort of scheme to offer support to renters who want to get onto the housing ladder According to the report, such a scheme was mooted before the spring budget was dropped over fears it would be inflationary. However, it appears to be back on the table for the Chancellor's autumn statement. Sources close to the government have said that the idea remains at an early stage and could see support offered to buyers looking to purchase not only new build properties, but even existing ones too, which is an interesting development. Um, yeah, you can see why it might have been seen as inflationary given what happened at the end of last year. So uh, they probably held it back, as you say, for electioneering, I would suggest. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what they've done. And uh, that's why there was nothing in the last budget for the housing market. Zero, zip, you know, because they knew that they would have to try and bring the inflation down, which they're trying to. And then towards the end of the year, they'll be seen to be the do-gooders in terms of, you know, help to buy and schemes relaunched or, or, or continue to start. And not only just for new builds, but also for um, old property, which is a good thing. You know, it was a little bit restricting and that meant that developers and builders did very well out of it as well. But generally, other people should be able to buy. I mean, not everybody wants to buy a brand new property. Some people do like the character and older cottages and so forth. And this, this will help them get out of the property ladder through properties that they actually like, be it a flat, be it a, a cottage or, 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 or an old style property, as well as um, new properties and new builds and so forth. So I think that's, that's a good thing. I'm not surprised that it's on the table or it's muted. Uh, it will be on the table. When it's muted, it means that it's on its way. They've got to do that by the end of the year because they're going to be looking at what's going to happen in 24 when the governments are up for re-election. And obviously they've hurt the people in the pocket in the, in the current time, all of us, um, and they will affect the people in the pocket when the time is, as I've said to you before, they use the property market as the little yo-yo. When it suits them, they'll bring things into it. When it doesn't suit them, they'll take things out of it because they know that the you know, mindset of all of the people in the country and those that come here is one day to own 
their own property and they will continue to do that no matter what it takes. Interesting that there's um, critics of the help to buy scheme because they're saying that all that does is to inflate the price or all it's done in the past because it's only been available for new builds of course is to inflate the values of new build properties um, because lenders are prepared to go to 95% with that guarantee on a new property and that concluded in October and the last of those is going to go through by the 31st of May when they complete their deal but um, many people call it a help to sell scheme because that's exactly what it is um, and uh, basically all it is is a terrible idea say the critics it's just a way of the house builders getting an idea of which way the wind is blowing said one particular individual uh, and you can see that because actually you might get yourself a 95% mortgage, but you're playing through the nose because the price of the original new build property has been significantly increased. So this will be quite interesting. So um, when the help to buy scheme came in on new builds, it was a um, pot that everybody had to put into. So uh, the government put in 10%. The builder had to leave 10% into the um, equity and the buyer would have to fund 5%, which is how the 5% situation came. So that gave them 25%. So if you're looking at a hundred thousand pound property, you had to have three other partners in your in yours mix. And one of them was the government, the other one was a builder. And of course the, the, the last one is yourself. Um, and of course the mortgage company that's gonna lend you. So they're, they're your partners in that deal. Um, now, the interesting thing of that would be, how would that work out in a older property? So if you're, if you're, if you bought a property at a hundred thousand pounds and it's now worth 200,000 pounds, you would have an equity, less costs, et cetera, let's say of 90,000 pounds. But if the scheme is on the basis that, you know, the owner has got to leave 10% of his uh, investment, his return into the pot for the next person, then he's got to leave £9,000 of that balance. The uh, government have got to put £9,000 and the new buyer's got to put in 5% um, in order to make it the overall 25% for them to borrow. Um, not sure that every owner in the future is going to be able to do that. So unless the government ups its stake and says that you know, it would then put 20% in. So it's, it's, it's one to watch. But certainly for the new house builder, it works very, very well. And yes, of course, because it's new house builders and they're vacant, a lot of people feel that the new house builder is the one that actually benefited. But yes, they did. And at the same time, so did the first time buyers because there was no other way to get onto the market. It's interesting that uh, the criticism says that uh, the help to buy scheme simply made people max out on a property that they couldn't really afford and shouldn't have bought. And because they had super low rates, they were encouraged to, that they would be able to afford it. And now we're seeing um, rates going to a more normal level and they're having to restructure. The suggestion is that they really can't afford it and they're going to have to sell. And the only winners in that situation were the developers. Yes, of course. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're always going to get somebody who's going to be you know, not comfortable with, with the situation. But in reality, there were more people that gained, i.e. the first time buyers that actually had a chance to buy. And at the current market, which is what Rishi Sunak is saying, that, you know, they're having to rent. But look at the, the rental values that they're having to pay. So what first time buyers are saying, well, we'd rather be paying a mortgage and have a, a stake or a, a you know, piece of the pie 
than be paying someone else's mortgage for them and having to have nothing to show for it ourselves. Um, so whichever route they have and however they've got to get there, um, there's always going to be someone who says, well, actually, you know, it's the developer that's come off well. well someone's got to develop the properties in the first place to give them the chance anyway. So, you know, I, 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 I do firmly believe that, you know, whatever help is available for first-time buyers to get on there should be seriously considered because, you know, we all have children, you have kids, I have kids, many people have those, and we want them to be successful to do that. And if they, if they don't get a chance, then they're not going to get on that run of the ladder. They're not going to become the trillion-pound people at the age of 65 if they just sat there with their arms crossed and hoping that somebody was going to just miraculously do something. It is part of our structure. Well, fascinating conversation as always, Joe. Uh, that's all we've got time for today on Property Matters. Thank you for your thoughts as always, Joe, and we'll hope you'll join us again next week for another Property Matters.